Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. My guest today, Naby Mariam, is an achiever. She's a fintech pioneer, a thought leader, advocate for greater diversity of ideas in fin services and tech, and a keynote speaker. She has a string of accolades, and I won't list them all, but they do include things such as being fintech leader of the year finalists 2021 and 22, the Finneys for Excellence in Business Intertech finalists for three years in a row, emerging Intertech of the year 2021, and she's also an international speaker with big name events under her belt, such as Forbes, Intertech Insights, and Intertech Connect, to name a few. Now, Naby says she loves salsa dancing, poetry, and intratech in that order. So when she's not exploring her side hustle, she runs businesses called Cover Hero, an embedded intratech startup focusing on evolutionary insurance services, meeting the needs of millennials and Gen Z, and also Cover Hero, which was launched as hustlecover.com, designed to fill the gap of financial insecurity for the growing gig economy and the self-employed generation. Cover Hero has also been a high achiever and it was selected in the first cohort of Qantas Avro Accelerator Program, competing with 500 other startups. It was a finalist in the top 15 companies of TechCrunch Startup Battlefield Australia and more recently completed the Plug and Play Intertech Program Batch 7 in Silicon Valley in the US. Cover Hero has been featured in Global Intertech News and a range of other media as an emerging startup in fintech. Now, she's an accomplished person beyond that, having graduated with a Master's of Philosophy in Management at the age of 22 and has 18 years of experience in a wide range of industries across senior level positions spanning fields such as academia, management consulting, documentary production, travel and destination marketing, and of course, tech. Her research background is in social science, and she's deeply studied human behavior and academic career. However, at the moment, she's pressed pause on a PhD to focus on building tech-driven solutions that solve community problems. And prior to these current businesses, Naby has run a few other startups and business ventures, working closely with founders and catalyzers of innovation in the Australian startup ecosystem. She's also advised the United Nations Development Project on building startup ecosystems and design accelerator programs to drive innovation in developing nations. And Navy was an Australian delegate at the G20 Young Entrepreneurs Conference in Berlin back in 2017. So a warm welcome to the politics of everything. Thank you very much. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since day one of the politics of everything, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one solution to make the process quick and painless, the way it should be for those of us who just love great content and want to get our ideas out into the world. If you know me, I'm obsessed with quality in terms of my guests, my sound, and everything about my show has to be great the first time. I'm time poor. It's so easy to use Zencaster. I'm not tech savvy and you don't need to be either. There's nothing to download. Just click on the link and off we go. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automate post-productions now in their toolkit, you don't have to leave your browser to get that episode done and done fast. 
I have a special offer for you and I hopefully you can experience what I have with Zencaster. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my VIP code, the politics of everything, all lowercase in one word, to get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. How good is that? I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. So I would love to know, did you remember what you wanted to be when you were a kid? I'm imagining fintech wasn't really in the mix. Was young Navy, you know, did you want to be an astronaut or a teacher or was there something else that kind of you thought you might want to do when you were a kid? I did. I wanted to be a dancer and actress. <laughs> oh, how fun. All this time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, when I when I exit my company, there's there's always room in Hollywood for something fun to do. I bet if Meryl Streep can, you know, do it, <laughs> I can too. Absolutely. So did you actually study acting at all or were you just sort of that was just something you loved as a kid? Well, in high school, I did a lot of acting and dancing and a lot of, you know, Broadway style Shakespeare kind of stuff. And I try to make my life very dramatic, hence choosing a career. <laughs> you know, technology is, is fun. It's, it's like being on stage pretty much all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And particularly if you're doing things like capital raises and so forth, I imagine some of those acting chops comes in quite handy. Yeah, speaking, acting, all of the above. And I think all of my um, high school Broadway style acting does really help because pitching is a really difficult thing to do, especially when you are in front of hundreds of people, um, things like an accelerator program. There's a lot of nerves that can that can kick in. And I often remember that it's not Nabby on stage, it's Nabby acting as Nabby that kind of takes the nerves away. Absolutely. So look, fintech is a term that didn't exist, say, 20 years ago. How do you broadly define it for those of us who are not familiar with it? And what examples do you have to showcase kind of what problem it solves and what it does? So financial services is one of the most archaic, oldest industries that was built hundreds of years ago. And the sector that we work in, fintech, is another segment called insurtech. So if we think about insurance or banking that started by the baby boomers and the technology is as old as the baby boomers, which is not relevant or current, which doesn't work with the, the, the modern way of interacting with products and services that we find in the market. So fintech was coined to demonstrate technological innovations in financial services industry. And there are a whole range of examples. So, for example, one of the early things that started coming in was the neobanks. In Australia, neobanks haven't had much luck, but overseas, uh, there are a couple of neobanks that have done really well. But our big four banks have been quite innovative with the banking products. And Australia is actually a market leader when it comes to fintech. So outside of the banks, we can we can see other solutions. For example, Buy Now, Paid Later is a good example of fintech. There is Spriggy, which is a, a savings kind of. My kids have that. <laughs> it's very motivating for them because they can see it on their on their smartphones and and see you know what they've earned and so forth. Yeah, so that, that's a whole range of stuff. Then there are other solutions that comes into the into the ecosystem. So we look at the financial services supply chain all the way from the let's say from from a loan origination perspective to distribution and then there are other services that are also categorized as fintech which can be 
reg tech, which can be compliance tech, anything that sits across that supply chain that either saves cost or creates a new product or makes a customer experience better. Um, so it's a really wide umbrella. There's hundreds of companies that are born out of Australia in fintech. So the gig economy is definitely the way of work for many of us in 2023, everything from food delivery to freelance writing. Obviously, it has a lot of risks as well as benefits. You know, obviously, with the quiet quitting trend, there's probably going to be more and more people in this gig economy. What made you start your two platforms, Cover Hero and Hustle Cover? Obviously, you saw the growth in this sector, but was there a real pain point or I guess a turning point where you decided, right, I need to do something about this? Yeah, I had a startup before called Ride Hero a couple of years ago before I started Cover Hero, lots of heroes there. And this was Australia's first rideshare platform. So I built and scaled a company in the gig economy and and being self-employed a really long time in my career that gave me deep insights into the challenges of being a self-employed person and noticing that in financial services, there aren't a lot of services designed to cater to self-employment, which wasn't which wasn't a big thing in the past. But with the rise of platform economy, such as Uber, Freelancer.com, um, Fiverr, and, and, and the creator economy, which is now the modern term for the gig economy, which is coming together of monetizing your passion and having lots of different side hustles. So being immersed in the sector for over a decade, I saw this huge opportunity for us to create something that will protect the income of a self-employed person. If you are self-employed, you go to the bank to get a mortgage, you will have a really hard time getting a loan because the, the old school method of assessing your risk is based on having a regular paycheck and having a corporate job. So the sector has not really caught up with what's happening in the economy and therefore we saw this 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 market gap. So that was one one thing. The second thing is I had a very tragic life experience with regards to insurance many years ago without going into the details. That got me angry enough to do something about it and I started Cover Hero as a way of building a platform to solve that problem, which is a very difficult problem to solve, is connecting the supply chain of insurance through technology and then creating this very simple API that can be embedded into any distribution platform, um, which is called Hustle Cover. It's pretty innovative and, of course, it solves a problem, but I imagine there's been some challenges along the way. Can you share with us all who, you know, some of us would just see your success and think, oh, it's all been, you know, blue sky blue sky thinking and happy days, but I'm sure there's been some challenges. I can imagine the sector itself when you're disrupting, you know, particularly things like insurance and financial services, they're not going to be happy about you playing on their grass, if you like. So what are some of the challenges that you faced in those in those early moments of starting these businesses? There are a whole range of challenges and those challenges still exist this day. The One of the because challenge is insurance industry. Any big industry is very resistant to change. So any outside force that comes in is met with a lot of resistance. And things like financial services is heavily regulated. So you have the regulatory challenges. Regulation doesn't change that often, doesn't move as fast as technology. So to do anything in a heavily regulated sector where the big industry incumbents are resistant to change and they control all the power, 
it's almost impossible to move the needle without getting the buy-in from these parties. So one of the biggest challenges that we faced in the early days is speed to market. Because of the regulation, the year that we were trying to launch was the Royal Commission investigation. Oh, yes, like 2018, something like that. Yeah, so that was extremely difficult. Then finding an insurer that will be our underwriting partner was even a much bigger challenge because InsurTech was a new thing and the industry did not want to collaborate at the time or, or saw startups as a threat. I was going to say, you, that, as I mentioned, like you're cutting their grass, they would feel like, well, hang on a second, we're going to give up a huge market share if we let this yeah. happen. And what, what has happened in the last five years is the industry and startups learning to work together and really finding the value of collaboration and where uh, the startups can play and where the insurance companies can play and how we can change the industry for the better. So now we see certain players in the market that are quite progressive partnering with, with companies like ours. Then there are the, the laggards that are still behind and um, a bit slow to the game, I would say. Absolutely. Look, it's it sort of leads into my next question. So how are you really able to find that, not just that niche, but scale these businesses? Because it sounds like there were certain challenges given some of the serendipitous timing around the Royal Commission. Um, Obviously, everyone was very regulation focused. Did you have to sort of smash a few sort of ceilings to get there? I mean, how did you really, I guess, get what you needed to get done to make sure these businesses could thrive? Well, the ceiling still exists and it's very difficult to smash the ceilings. We just had to leave those houses and go operate in a whole different area away from their, from their turf, actually, because the networks that exist in distribution is extremely strong. And conflict of interest is a big thing in the insurance industry. An example would be, let's say, we come into the market and create a home insurance product and we want an insurer to underwrite it. If we go into their existing distribution channel that they already have, they would not want to partner with us, even though that is, in my opinion, against kind of, you know, fair competitive um, sentiment. Yeah, it's anti-competitive behavior. And I imagine, you know, that would have its own regulation challenges because we can't have monopolies, surely. Surely, but these unwritten rules exist and loyalties exist. And therefore, it was very difficult to, to go into any of these channels. And you need to be, if you, if you don't want to play on their turf, then you will have to start your own insurance company from the ground up with a lot of capital. And that's, that's not where we wanted to play. So there were a whole range of challenges in terms of finding an insurance partner, because at the end of the day, in order to play the insurance game, you have to partner with an ecosystem player. And if we don't play by their rules, then we can't play the game at all. Absolutely. Um, I can imagine that. So how did you navigate it? Did you have a lot of, I guess, mentors or how did you really find your way forward through this space? Well, there were a couple of progressive people in the ecosystem that understood this and and were willing to help drive innovation. So we partnered with the right partners that were from the industry that understood this, that that really valued the progressive thinking. So finding those right partners were very difficult, but we did eventually find those right partners and those partners exist in the US market as well um, that we found through the um, Accelerate program in the US and through those channels 
it's a little bit like dating, you know. You, you <laughs> oh, know. A good analogy. That's always great. Tell us how it's like dating, maybe. <laughs> you know, you're going to kiss a lot of frogs before you find the prince, you know. And we did kiss a lot of frogs. And some frogs were very unpleasant to deal with as well. But eventually we found the prince and then and then we, we learned uh, some some hard lessons about the cultural differences of time as a construct inside a startup versus time as a construct inside an insurance company, the speed that they move, the things that they care about. So it was quite a lot about finding common ground and, and what is valuable for both parties because we exist in a totally different way but can be complementary to each other. So we learned a few lessons on what we need to do differently. They learned a few lessons on on how they need to operate with the startups because we have limited capital and we move a lot faster. The incumbents have a lot of capital and they move a lot slowly. So they don't understand that, you know, six months waiting for somebody to sign off on a compliance procedure could actually kill our business because we're going to run out of money in six months. So we had a lot of issues like that in the very early days. What makes a great fintech in your view and why? What would, what's the sort of perfect scenario, I guess, for a fintech to thrive and survive and grow and, and I guess, really be something all of us know and, and enjoy the experience of, you know, being part of as a customer or maybe working in, in the ecosystem? There are a number of things. I think the number one success metric is are the customers, does this solve a customer problem? Do people like this? Do people want this? So that's I, that I would say is is the number one metric. Is is it solving a real problem and a pain point in the industry? Secondly, is the solution that's created scalable? Does it build a sustainable business for the long term? Does it look at the societal issues? Does it have an impact? So those are the couple of things that really matters to to me from my lens that will make a sustainable business in financial services or any other sector is about understanding the long-term impact on, on society in building these businesses. Just solving one technology problem or creating a technology solution is not going to be enough, uh, which it was 20 years ago with all the tech companies coming into the market. But now I think we need to think a bit broader than one key problem. Uber is a really great example, right? Solves a big problem in the market, moves product from A to B. However, there's a lot of challenges around their best practices and the and the rights of the drivers and the security that comes with it and all of these things. Which and is part of the gig economy, I think. You know, even you look at food delivery, we've you yeah. know, there's been scandals where that's not worked out for them either. And they've had to pull up stumps, not just because of not being able to make it work from a market share point of view, but legal reasons and, you know, having to pay out, you know, compensation and things like that, which they hadn't factored maybe into their original business model. Yeah, and Deliveroo pulled out of Australia and having viable business model. And I built Ride Hero many years ago. And one of the reasons I pulled out of that business is because of the margins. And I didn't like building a business that had such low margins and it didn't really sit well with me. Where, And, and I'm sure this is going to be controversial saying this because it goes against the sentiment of, of self-employment. 
and there's a there's a place for it but I did not want to build a company that paid people you know below minimum wage as an hourly rate and it just didn't sit with me and you ha- and, and I was an uber driver myself as well oh so- and maybe you've done everything I didn't add that to the intro <laughs> So, so for me now, my mission is yes, these, these, this, these are choices, and choices are powerful for humanity. However, some choices are not by choice. People make those choices out of necessity, and 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 could be deemed as exploitation. And therefore, we come in to say, okay, this is how the market exists, and these are the choices that people are making. Not everybody is choosing this, but needing an extra source of income or choosing self-employment comes with the cost of security and therefore we can play in there to support the platforms and also to support the platform workers. Absolutely. And I think ethically that's the right thing to do because at the end of the day you have to not just make money but be able to sleep well at night and, you know, be able to say to your kids and your family, you know, I'm doing something good in the world as much as making money is great. I don't think it's everything. So I'm on your page when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. Some of the trends that you anticipate in fintech as we sort of dive into 2023, are there some sort of things which you can see or experiencing at the moment, even your own businesses, which maybe the wider sector is also going to experience? 2023 is going to be an interesting year because we've had the last two years of the pandemic, lockdowns, a lot of uncertainty I don't anticipate 2023 to be radical in any way. I think 2023 is about companies getting a bit of a breathing space to realign, get all their ducks in a row and really start building for the future. So there were a couple of things that emerged in the middle of the pandemic, companies going digital. And and so there was a lot of opportunity for those companies that were serving the incumbent companies in order to use those services. And then new companies emerged. Uh, Web3 was the hot topic last year. And then AI and, and Web3, these two are always, you know, from a, from a technology standpoint, big topics. What I'm interested in seeing specifically for fintech and the, and the passion economy or the creator economy is a little bit more harmonization between the integrations that that are going to happen and embedded finance is i believe the way of the future or or platform play or or the ecosystem play so in fintech we will see the merging of all of that and we will also see a whole range of companies that aren't sustainable will will not be there anymore bit of a rationalization is what i'm hearing in, in what you're sharing yeah a little bit of Coming back to reality and and looking at what is what is happening, the, there were you know inflated valuations. There was a lot of funds that were raised. There's the the, the conversation about recession and and Australia may not feel a full recession, but still people are cautious. There is capital in the market. Uh, companies are going to raise funding, but it's a little bit more conservative, I would say. But then these things are so unpredictable, right? We can sit here and make all the predictions. Yeah, all the crystal balls in the world. Like I remember years ago when I was a journalist interviewing someone during the GFC and they said, you get 10 economists in a room, you'll get 10 different answers. You know, no one really has the the final answer. I would say if there was one prediction, it would be a much bigger 
focus on humans that are behind the companies that are building the companies and and putting a lot of focus on on the talent and retaining the talent and how do we build great companies for the future using great people and empowering those people to work. So changing tack a little bit, what's the best advice that you've ever been given and why? Well, doesn't have to just be business advice. It could be life advice or something else. Well, in business, the thing that I really found value was reading Principles by Ray Dalio. And this was this book was given to me by one of my investors a couple of years ago. And one of the be- things that really stood out for me was actually about advice. And Ray Dalio speaks in his book about listening to believable people. Because when you're a startup or when you're a founder, and especially in the early days, there are a lot of people who will tell you what you should and shouldn't do. And you can get very confused as a founder on what is the right decision to make. So Ray Dalio has a framework around listen to believable people, which means people that have done it, that have very specific domain expertise in what you're looking for. And if you get advice from people that aren't believable, then that advice is not worth anything. So for me, was learning the believable people versus the non-believable people. So in capital raising, this is something that I, I see a lot because um, we pitch to a whole range of investors with money and all money is not good money and some money is actually quite detrimental. And then it's understanding where they're coming from and what advice they give and learning to ignore things that are not relevant. I think that's great advice for anyone, even if they're in a different sector or a different career. So that's um, something we should all probably take on board. If we spoke again in a year's time, I imagine you've got some big goals, but what would be your number one goal to have achieved and why? I think it would be hitting our revenue targets this year in 12 months. So we have very specific customer milestones that we want to achieve this year. And I think that would be, that would, that's our number one focus is expansion and scaling. Absolutely. So a final takeaway message for all of us today on the politics of fintech, what would be your takeout? This is a tough one. I would say if if you're getting into fintech, there's room in the market and there are lots of micro problems that need solving. So go in and find that one problem and be the best at that one problem. So niche sounds like it's king when it comes to to the future, which is great advice. Look, if you do want to connect further with Navy, there will be some details on the show notes. Until next time, take care. Thank you so much for your time, Navy. Thanks for having me. If you're interested in investing in the future of podcasting, I have an opportunity which might interest you. Zencaster has been my platform of choice since I began recording the politics of everything in 2017. They now have an opportunity to join in their crowdfunding action. So I want you to jump on and have a look at wefunder.com forward slash Zencaster. That is W-E-F-U-N-D-E-R.com forward slash Zencaster and see if this is an opportunity which might interest you. What I love about Zencaster is you can record, produce, host, analyze, and monetize all in one platform. I think it's a great chance for you to have a look at if this something might interest you. If you want to invest, jump on. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. 
I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea, you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.